Welcome to Ponderings from the Perch, the official podcast of Little Bird Marketing. This episode is happily brought to you by Greenbook. Greenbook connects marketers and market researchers with people, information, and ideas that generate better business results. Through their Grit Report, the IIEX event series, the Greenbook blog, and their market research directory, Greenbook provides the tools and the inspiration that insights professionals need to succeed. Be sure to check them out at greenbook.org. With me today is Ray Poitner, and this guy knows his stuff. It's going to be super fun unpacking what's going on at the intersection of research and innovation. Ray, welcome to the show. Hi there. <laughs> I love having um, people from across the pond on my show. It's one of my great joys of life. So tell people a little bit about where you, where you live, and I'm that, and then we'll get into and, and you know maybe highlights about stuff you like to do in your hometown, and then I'll do your actual bio and introduce you properly. <laughs> How's that? That sounds great. I live in Nottingham, which is about 120 miles north of London, um, city of about half a million people. Mostly famous for Robin Hood, mm. I would guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no matter where you go, I love it. So, in your off time, do you does Ray Pointner have uh, uh, have any off time? Yeah, um, I'm quite a keen runner, and in fact, on Saturday of this week, I shall be attempting my first 100 mile race. Oh my so, gosh! It's probably better you're talking to me now than early next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, just imagine as you're coming across the last leg, we're just mm. like, pointer, pointer, you know, just everybody. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, you know, obviously, I, you know, I, I really am so happy for you to be on because you have such a deep experience uh, in marketing, marketing and market research, but yet you're so still at the forefront of what's going on. And I think that's really what I'd like to hear a little bit from you about. But just so our audience knows, you know, Ray has been in this industry for over 40 years, but he was so instrumental in a lot of online systems and development of online surveys and social media research. In fact, uh, Ray is the author of the handbook of online and social media research and the handbook of mobile market research. So if that tells you anything about his expertise, you know, that's 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 exactly where we're going to go in, in this show. But you also answer, um, you also are the editor of SOMAR's book of answers to contemporary market research questions. And I think that is even more telling because, you know, you're constantly at the forefront dealing with people who are in a quandary. What, what, what's, what's, what's starting? What's, what's changing? What do we need to reinvent? Um, so that's completely amazing to me. So let's, let's, let's dig in. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what your day-to-day -day is right now? And then I'm going to ask you some hard-hitting questions, Ray. <laughs> okay, well, I'm pretty lucky. I'm, in lots of ways, I'm, I'm living the dream, but it took the 40 years to right. get here. So I spend most of my time talking to people about um, how they can use research, how they can find ideas, how they can develop ideas, how they can leverage marketing better. Um, and the time that I don't spend talking to people, I spend listening to people and learning. Um, so I do a lot of sharing. I do about six months a year outside the UK, and that's running a lot of workshops, conferences, face-to-face -face sessions. And then when I'm in the UK, 
And sometimes when I'm not in the UK, it's virtual stuff. So it's webinars and online discussions Mm -hmm. and then just blogging and writing like crazy. Oh, and commenting like Mm -hmm. crazy. Um, Yeah, you are really engaged online. And I, I, you know, because we are connected in several places online, I I see your name pop up sometimes commenting about an article I'm reading. And I'm like, Mm. you know, you you even deliver great insights about other people's insights. (laughs) You're good like that. I I think that, I mean, not really about me, but many times you will find the best nuggets in the comment section. Yes, there's a lot of dross in there. But actually, somebody will say, this reminds me of this earlier piece of Mm -hmm. work. Or, ah, here was a situation where that didn't work. Mm -hmm. And you start to get a context for the piece that's just been published. And Mm -hmm. I think the discussion around these, something we used to call dialectic, is a really good way of finding out more about things and of challenging your own ideas. Right. Well, some yeah, challenging some of your own ideas and maybe your own preconceptions about maybe what's going to work in the market, maybe a new idea that's come out but yet is kind of falling flat, <laughs> maybe not changing the industry mm. like it should. I think that's where there's a lot of interesting, you know, juice. But so tell us a little bit about your company, New MR. Like what is what is your differentiation and, and what's the benefit that people get from your expertise of marketing and market research, that intersection? Um, I mean, the principal thing is it's a knowledge sharing platform. So we're, we're funded by sponsors. God bless them. They're really helpful. Um, and then we're able to produce material. So we will get a lot of speakers from a lot of organizations. We've got a webinar next week. We've got people from Ipsos and we've got single person consultancies and everything in between speaking. And that's that's a large part of what we do. And I think probably my niche within the market is that I am a very cynical lover of the new. <laughs> so yes, I do like new things, but I'm not easily um, swayed. And I've got a very good grounding in the traditional aspects right. of applying the science, applying methodology, seeing where things fit. Mm-hmm. And I'm much more interested in how they work than sort of how shiny they are. Right, right. Yeah, so you're not afraid of change. You just don't want to just run after that shiny bauble and have it. Oh, no, no, no. I, I love change. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, talk about that. What is changing in insights right now? It's, I mean, the, the first thing is a lot of it is getting cheaper. It's getting faster. And it's getting less expensive. And that's causing some really interesting problems for traditional providers of insights because they're kind of saying we're in the value added process and business. But what we have just seen in a study we've run is they're not training their junior members of staff. They're paying um, really ridiculously low amounts to new graduates, people under 30, um, and try and work them really, really hard to compete with machines. And (laughs) we know from history, you can't win that way. You've got to go higher. So a lot of the research companies are going to be in for really quite difficult times until they grasp, no, no, don't compete with machines. Do what machines can't and use the machines for what machines need to do. So that is a big change going on. Um, and we're seeing that driving the DIY process, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, it's a fantastic 
move. Of course, there are some awful things that have been done with DIY. Um, and <laughs> As with every it. industry, right? <laughs> yeah. And one of my favorite stories about DIY dates back to early 1900. The Mercedes company did a large futuring study about how many cars would eventually be needed by the world. And they came up with one million people, one million cars. Mm -hmm. And the, the reason they did that was they thought there would never be more than one million chauffeurs. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> they didn't get DIY. They didn't get Ford, Henry oh Ford. Oh, my gosh. And now, right. of course, DIY cars have led to millions of deaths, <laughs> mm -hmm. as well as a massive industry and freedom and liberty and so on. Um, nothing is all good. <laughs> right, right. Well, would you agree that, you know, this this kind of get things getting cheaper and faster is also coming at a time when the larger companies also are being asked to do more with less and they're also like from higher up or they're, they're needing the information faster. So, yeah, it is getting cheaper and faster, but also the market is changing faster. And so they need, you know, they don't have the luxury of, well, you know, do this, uh, this study, uh, get back with us in 12 weeks. By then the product's out and done. And, you know, it, do you think that's coinciding? Um, it's, it is. Society is getting faster. Yeah. And there are more places where you can change things quickly. So we see the success of Zara, the Spanish clothing company, mm -hmm. who, who don't predict trends. They look to see what's working well and then produce things of that genre really quickly. And that's becoming quite um, a sort of common trend of let's not predict the trend. Let's just be really fast and agile. At noticing what the trend is, picking up and running with it. Right. Well, Zara um, is absolutely the poster child for that. It seemed I, I could be wrong, but it seemed at least from the outside like they were the ones who pioneered that. If that if that shirt is selling in Milan, they're last night they're making more of it. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? So yeah, that that's really interesting. You've seen that mentality come across other CPG and and really affecting just how business is done on the normal now. Uh, yeah. Not everybody and not all the time, but you'll see um, more and more seasonal things. So you'll see the Coca-Cola's launch a product in Tokyo that is only intended to sell this summer. There's They've picked something up on the vibe that guava or something is, mm -hmm. is hot. So they're going to have that. They're going to launch it. It's going to um, bring some people into the stable and then it's going to be discontinued. And sometimes it's discontinued even if it's successful because they can always bring it back. Right. Um, so all of that side of the business needs to be supported by really fast-moving, fast-thinking mm -hmm. um, market research. But you also need strategic research, mm -hmm. and that is where there is more time and you need to get it right. So if you're Nike and you're thinking, how edgy can we be? You have probably done a lot of research, not necessarily about the personalities you're going to use, but about the, the structure you need to be in the market, where you need mm. to be in the market, mm -hmm. because you can't change that direction. You can tweak that direction. But once you set off, Really, the next two, three, four years are cast, and you have to 
make the best of it. Right, right. Well, you are really well connected, Ray. And in terms of some seasonal things that come and go, could you please reach out to someone at Starbucks for me and get them in the U.S. to bring back like the chocolate ganache, like, you know, the (laughs) hot chocolate that's proper hot chocolate. See, you will not have sympathy for me because you have... You know, hotel chocolate in the UK, and you know you're you're gonna think, oh, Priscilla, you can go down in any one of these coffee houses and find like actually real hot chocolate, like poured liquid chocolate. I guess here we would call it more liquid chocolate. Well, they don't call it anything here because Americans just don't seem to get it. But <laughs> that's when I come to the UK, that's the first thing I'm like, let me find a hotel chocolate. And so they had it here seasonally. And, you know, I'm like, how much of this do I need to buy so that they always have it back? <laughs> Apparently, you know, I'm, I'm losing on that. But they may have done the research that from a long-term business acquisition point of view, giving it to you occasionally and making sure you come back to Starbucks each year <laughs> might be the right strategy. Oh. It, may not, it may not be what you want. No, they're it, playing with but, me, right? <laughs> I don't like it. Isn't that what marketing does? Yes, exactly. I just totally feel like a pawn in the Starbucks world. So, At Ponderings from the Perch, we love cranking out great content, but that comes thanks to our sponsors. So give a listen to this. I need you to check your calendar right now. What are your plans on February 18th and 19th? If your answer wasn't IIEX Europe, here's why it needs to be. Hosted in beautiful Amsterdam, Green Book's IIEX Europe is all about new ideas, new approaches, and new connections and market research and insights. Sounds amazing, right? It gets better. One of the most standout parts of IIEX is the focus on startups and how they are challenging the status quo in the market research space. The event hosts the Startup Track and Insight Innovation Competition, bringing new, cutting-edge companies and ideas to the stage. Join the brightest and boldest minds in market research, all under one roof. Attendees will be in great company with speakers from Heineken, IFF, Samsung, and Dannon. For the full lineup and registration details, visit the event site at iiex-eu.insightinnovation.org or just click the link in our show notes. Register with the promo code LITTLEBIRD and you'll save 20%. See you there. Well, I love that, those ideas about what's changing, it being, you know, cheaper, faster, but what is staying the same, the need to truly be strategic, the longitudinal studies, and and really understanding that, you know, uh, you know there are, there is a big difference between small little changes and trends, but um, as opposed to underlying really long-term, you know, changes for companies. So I love that. But when these new ideas come up, Ray, with all of your expertise, what what can marketers do, in your opinion, to tell the difference between some great innovations, great new ways to go, and what is just people peddling snake oil? Really difficult question, but there are some some relatively straightforward things. The sort of thing that makes it difficult is the the leading scientists cannot agree whether facial coding, the Paul Ekman stuff, works or not. It could be really quite good or complete rubbish, mm. and you can't get the experts to 
agree on which it is. They all have a very strong opinion, but they don't have the same opinion. And this is micro, like micro... Uh, micro expressions. expressions. Are, there, are, are there only six basic emotions? Can you recognize them from people's faces? Um, and so on. So that's a really good illustration of where it's very hard for buyers to to know what's best. But I think there are a couple of things that you can do. The first is, if you're a buyer, is this product available from multiple suppliers? If only one company provides it, it is probably snake oil. Oh, that's interesting. Or, or it's something quite ordinary, rebadged um, mm -hmm. to be special. <laughs> So what you're talking about really with the facial coating is really in terms of market research understanding it not only is there a difference there, which is key, um, and can we is there is there um, truth in something we're capturing, but also can we capture that data point in a relevant way while they're in front of our product? Absolutely. So the the sort of things that we run to, the first one is can you get it from multiple suppliers? Mm -hmm. The second is these days. Can it be largely, can it be scaled is the first question. Mm -hmm. And that, mm -hmm. that tends to mean, can it be done by a machine? Um, if it requires somebody who's had 10,000 hours of training, which is the case with, with human facial coding, mm -hmm. then it's never going to scale. It's never going to be cheap enough for you to use it all the time. It might be something you'd use for a special occasion. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is, what would you have to change in your business processes to make use of this? So if you're a retailer, the idea that you might put cameras above um, the shelves in the stores, perfectly straightforward. You could see how you could do that and straightforward. On the other hand, if you're Procter & Gamble um, or you're Unilever, you don't own the stores. You don't have a direct relationship with customers. You've got all these intermediaries. You've got the, the Amazons. You've got the, the local stores and so on. You are not going to be able to do massive broad-based facial scanning and collecting of that sort of data unless you can work with somebody else. Mm -hmm. So you're not interested in a, an agency coming to you. You might be interested in a retailer mm -hmm. coming to you. But actually, they're going to beat you up because they're already buying the, the your product <laughs> at an incredibly right. low price. Right, right. Um, you can obviously imagine saying, well, if you sell it at the house store, you'll have to cut the price because you're getting this useful data back. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's shift a little bit. So that I, I find that incredibly interesting. But no matter how we get that data, whether it's through, you know, something that's uh, what we would consider disrupting the market or, or innovating right now, different ways to do it, like you talked about facial coding, no matter how we get the data, you really are an expert at turning data into story in order to drive marketing strategy. So that I, I know I said that a little slowly because that when I think of Ray Pointer, that's what I think. Okay, this guy knows how to take data, tell us really what's going on, like help us understand it and then say, yeah, but it's not enough to know it or to understand it. You have to you have to actually implement it. Um, and so that sounds very easy to say, but I know that basically is your whole life's work here. But can we unpack <laughs> that sentence a little bit so that people truly understand why that is, why all three of those things, how those flow together? Absolutely. So probably for the first 20 years of my professional life, I focused on how to work with numbers. And then after that, more qualitative information 
how to run the correlations, the multidimensional scalings, the regressions, the choice models, to pull that data out. But sometimes it really didn't deliver. And I had to take a step back and look at what some other people were saying and look at where the problems were going from. And it was really, it was two things. One was a change in the marketplace. So when I started in research in the 1970s, there were a lot of super well-trained insight managers, people at the likes of Unilever who had got two, three, four years worth of training in research techniques. So if you gave them data, they could produce stories out of it. Mm -hmm. Now, there are not so many. There are still some, but there are far fewer people on the client side who have the technical training to work with the numbers. So we need to change where the interface happens. So I, I run a number of workshops on this, and the first hour or two is all spent on how do you find out what the real business problem is? Because you might be told, can you test these three ads? And if you're really needy, you'll go away and you'll test them. <laughs> but what is it that the client wants to know? What is it they are thinking of doing? Do they have to run one of these three ads or could they rerun the old one if the old one was better? Mm -hmm. Could they run two of these ads if two <clears> of them are great? Right. Um, if the best ad doesn't work with this core group, does that matter? Um, so really getting to the bottom of what the client's business problems are, why, why they think this is the right solution. And funnily enough, over the course of my career, the, the number of times when I tell clients, actually, no, that's the wrong project, you shouldn't do that, mm -hmm. uh, has gone up and up and up, partly because <laughs> I'm more confident, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But actually, um, I think that is increasingly the role for an advisor now is mm -hmm. to say, yeah, you could do that. But actually, you've probably got enough information already if you were to rework it. Mm -hmm. um, I am such a firm believer in this kind of consulting is questioning the problem that the client comes to you with. It's not always the real problem. And I think there's a, a massive amount of respect and rapport you build when you say, yeah, I'd love to take your money. In fact, I'm a huge fan of money. <laughs> <laughs> but is that really what needs to, to happen here? Yeah, I, I think that that is a really key role. Now, it's very hard to see how you make money out of that necessarily. <laughs> um, I think some of the, the larger consultancies can uh, by the time you move into the management consultancies because this is a small part of the whole picture. Right. Um, one of the things that I learned from an agency point of view, I, I did a project um, I remember some years ago with the Bain Consulting Group, and they said, oh, that was fantastic. We devoted a whole page of the final report to your research. And I thought the project was a research project. No, the project was a re relaunch, re-energizing the brand. And out of 100 pages, my research was one page. And they thought that was great because it was so good. <laughs> and I had to sort of recalibrate that. No, we, we fit into the picture. Right. So how do we make sure that we provide hexagonal solutions to hexagonal holes and mm -hmm. square solutions to square holes? We do that by really researching our clients we've got all of those qualitative and quantitative skills but we don't actually use them mm. on what is it that our client believes and when we talk about the clients i mean the internal stakeholders not just the insight managers so 
Different organisations have different measures of truth. Some of them will say, oh, I love semiotics. Explain to me why that red has more meaning than this green, and I'll believe you. And others say, I want a thousand interviews, and I want the difference to be significant at the 95% level. Mm-hmm. And unless you know what proof that client values, you are not likely to result in action because you have to provide things that tie in with their value structure, with their belief structure. And the final piece is you then have to convince them emotionally because almost nobody changes their behavior because of facts. Um, I don't know which way you stand on guns in the United States. I'm not going to ask you, but on whichever side you stand, provided you stand on one side or the other, if I came up with a new study that showed actually you were probably wrong, you should change your view. You wouldn't change your view without the data source, even if the data source was the Pew Research Center or if it was um, the U.S. Census. You would still doubt it. Mm -hmm. We don't change our minds because of facts. Right. Clients don't change their minds because (laughs) of facts. So we're not operating in the MR world in a vacuum in which in which there are no human emotions. (laughs) Absolutely. So you use the data to find out what is the story, but the story has to be has to rest on emotional triggers. It has to be believable. Um, really, you want the client to always be saying, but I already knew that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, whenever a client says that, and I know they didn't before, right. then that's job done. Right, right. Wow, that's interesting. It's like, um, it's maybe you're saying there's a need for the ethnographer to do an ethnography about the fact that they're doing an ethnography? Yes. (laughs) How is, how are decisions made in this organization? Right. Why, why do some things that everybody thinks is a good idea not happen? Why do other things actually happen? Mm. So, you know, turn some of those investigative skills around Mm -hmm. and look at the organization. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you are the market researcher doing some research on the actual organization that needs research. So I love this. (laughs) Okay. Well, we we could go on and on forever, but I want to ask you a big juicy one here at the end, Ray. And um, uh, in terms of marketing and research technology, is there something out there that you're most excited about now? Because you have been so at the forefront of so many technology shifts in this industry. Is there something out there right now that's really getting you excited? Well, I'll give you two, one in the short term and one in the medium term. In the short term, um, semiotics or automated semiotics using AI and quantitative data. So looking at what things really mean in society, what the triggers are. And I think that's going to generate some fantastic Mm -hmm. insights and some abilities for brands to carve out their own position. But coming down the wires after that is really a debate that was happening in the 1920s. The people who measure behavior and intentions wondered whether they should use open-ended questions or closed questions. So why do you feel like that? Or on a five-point scale, how much like that do you feel? And they ended up with the closed questions because we could measure them quantitatively. We Mm -hmm. could put them into scales. Now we've got chatbots, we've got Alexa and Siri and all of these. We can revisit that so you can have conversations and open-ended data. And behind that, 
have the measurement of meaning, the sort of things I'm talking about for the semiotics that says, actually, there are three types of people in this market. These people really value this, this and this, this, this and this. And we think the, the levers or the levers that are going to change their behavior are this. So mm-hmm. moving away from closed ended questions which are so tedious and it's getting so hard to get people to respond to them, mm-hmm. to open-ended questions is mm-hmm. something we're going to see over the next, say, 10 years. Right, right. Well, I mean, we see it in our real life. So when we already start seeing this technology in our real life, of course, this is going to revolutionize very specific data industries. But I don't know if this sometimes this creeps me out right now on the new Gmail. Um, so I'm on Google Mail and um, – So now it actually suggests a response, you know, so I could just say, yeah, that sounds great or, you know, whatever it is. And it suggests a response for me to click. I don't even have to type my response anymore. And I'll read what someone wrote to me and I'll read the suggested response. Like there's three I can choose from. And some of them creep me out because they are totally things I would say. Mm. And (laughs) And of course it started with... Did you forget to attach the attachment to the right, email? I know, right? It starts. There's <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Thanks for pointing out that I'm a complete idiot. <laughs> yeah. So when we start seeing these things in, 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 you know, everyday life and they're getting better and better, they're not so clunky anymore. Do you have that word across the pond, clunky? Yes, clunky, absolutely. So it's very clunky. And now they're just feeling so much more integrated and seamless. And yeah, of course, it's always more valuable to have a very quality, you know, and qualitative answer. But to the degree to which we can't afford to really suss out the meaning of it, then what good is it? So I can see why they go quant. Um, but yeah, this is that. That's a really interesting thought about how this technology of being able to really read in between the lines, so to speak, with what people are actually saying and and derive meaning from it. It's going to be exciting. I, I love. Oh that. yes, absolutely. So, any other like Nostradamus, like you know, things about two thousand nineteen? You 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 want to share? So two thousand nineteen, um, we won't see invasion of um, the wearables. Um, We we won't see virtual reality or augmented reality except in little niches. So those are things we won't see. And we won't see blockchain (laughs) at all. And if you would like to hear more about that, please read many of Ray's (laughs) prolific blogs. (laughs) But, you know, that is a really great point. You know, some of the things you brought up, you do write about quite a bit. And I would highly suggest you follow him on LinkedIn. And just to to give this to you easily, it's Ray Pointer, but it's P-O-Y-N-T-E-R. So find him on on LinkedIn and the articles that you post and you share. And of course, like you said, the juicy comments are great. But um, I love hearing, you know, your writing. I think you know, for someone who's actually editing, you know, something for from for SOMR, obviously, you really have a great grasp on so many different disciplines. And so I love it when you write. I, I There are some times I will admit, I'm like, oh, don't follow it. I wish I were smarter. But <laughs> but I love the your ability to take very lofty and ideas that I feel sometimes people are splashing out in front of you trying to make them into something more than they are. And I love how you bring it back to reality. 
It's a, Thank you. It's a very good trait that you have. And so I love your Your writing is so clean, Ray. That's <laughs> that's so great. So, well, where are you going to be next? I, I will say I'm going to be speaking at uh, Quirks in February in London. And so I we've, we've got to connect. And can we just, can I, when I hit town, can we just go have like a liquid chocolate somewhere? That would be a great thing. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And you and I probably getting, you know, sugar and caffeine in our, our, <laughs> our blood. We'll probably spend hours talking. But <laughs> um, where are you going to be next? So um, in about 10 days or so, I'm heading over to SMR in Berlin. Um, and then I'm speaking at a conference on big data in Barcelona and then running a workshop in Bucharest, Romania on finding the story in the data. Oh, I love it. And let me know if you need me to carry your bags to Barcelona. I would be more <laughs> than happy. Place, isn't it? Yes, it is. I grew up in Madrid, so I you know, right. I, I ache for getting back to Spain a little bit. But yeah, if you need me to just kind of go before you and if you need or if you need paparazzi, I, I could do <laughs> that, too. It's a lot of things I could do. Ray, thank you so much for coming on Ponderings from the Perch. This has been really fun. Like I said, please go connect with him on LinkedIn, find out what he's doing. And, and he always very engaging. So if you have a question, I'm sure he'll answer it for you. He's good like that. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ray. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much. From Ponderings from the Perch, the Little Bird Marketing Company podcast, this has been Priscilla McKinney with Ray Pointner saying have a great day and happy marketing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.